0: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 42, being recorded on Wednesday, August 24th, 2016. I'm your host, Jason, Retail Geek Goldberg, and this episode is sponsored by the National Retail Federation. Scott and I are going to be live podcasting at the uh, nrfshop.org Digital Summit this year in Dallas. That's September 26th through the 28th. In fact, we have a custom discount code for our listeners. That code is Jason ampersand Scott, so J-A-S-O-N ampersand S-C-O-T. And if you enter that code on the shop.org website, you'll get a 10% discount on full conference fee. So uh, visit our show notes or retaildigitalsummit.nrf.com and enter that code, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Now, as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, what part of the world are you in today? I am in my home part of the world here in Chicago, Illinois.
1: Nice, nice. And you've been traveling, uh, I think you, since we last chatted, you went to Seattle and then the Northeast, if if I'm not mistaken. So you did the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast.
0: I would be flattered that you know, except that uh, we discussed it right before we went on the air, so I'm not giving you any credit.
1: Oh, I... Keep very close track of you. It's like a Where's Waldo for me. Thanks, man.
0: But that that's true. I think I'm on, uh, this is my eighth, uh, I always keep track of these streaks. So I'm on eight eight uh, consecutive weeks of travel, and uh, I, I am booked for the foreseeable future. So I think my, my record is about 14 weeks in a row, so hopefully we won't get to there. Uh, but I, I was in Seattle last week, which I think we're going to talk about uh, a little bit on the show, and I was uh, in the Northeast earlier this week.
1: Cool. Let's dive into it. I'm uh, eager to hear some some summaries of your trip. Uh, we thought we'd take a break this week from all the interviews and deep dives we've been doing and catch up on some of the e-commerce and retail news. And it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott news show without starting with Amazon. So one thing I wanted to cover is that there is a rumor we're hearing from sellers that are hearing they're starting to get notified by Amazon uh, that Amazon is going to stop a popular feature of fulfillment by Amazon program. Uh, comp FBA is kind of the slang that we use for, for that. Uh, and I don't know if uh, listeners will be that familiar with this. So, um, uh, you know, FBA is promoted as this way for you to make your products prime eligible, and mostly marketplace sellers utilize it. Um, but about six or seven years ago, Amazon added this feature, which was called off Amazon FBA or uh, or non Amazon FBA, depending on how you know it's been called different things. So what that does is it allows you, the retailer, uh, to send a whole palette of things to FBA. And if you overextend the inventory to FBA, and let's say you now no longer have something in your warehouse, you can actually say to Amazon, "Hey, I just got a website order, or an eBay order, or a Walmart order, et cetera. Um, can you fulfill that for me? It's not a, it's not an Amazon order. Can you ship that uh, off of Amazon?" Um, so, you know, Amazon has been doing a lot of changes to FBA. They've 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 kind of verbally said. FBA is full. Our fulfillment centers are maxed out. They're building 18 more fulfillment centers. They've changed the economics of FBA to push back on a bunch of product just sitting there idle. Uh, and it sounds like this is another optimization where they're they're starting to do some math. I imagine and that says our fulfillment centers are are worth X, and uh, we're, you know it seems like their view is the value of X is going up. And um, you know, I think they've done the calculus and decided they don't they no longer want to do the fulfillment for non-Amazon orders. So so that's pretty impactful uh, to a lot of our customers because, you know, it, it is a pretty interesting program and it, it makes it easy for you just to kind of oversend stuff to FBA because you do anticipate some some sales on other channels uh, and it will diminish the Um, you know, the flexibility of FBA for, for a lot of our sellers and they're going to have to kind of figure out a new option. The good news is most of them already have a warehouse and that kind of thing, but uh, it is going to make it a little bit tougher to manage FBA and a little more complex.
0: Yeah, I am uh, sad to hear it. I I hope it's not true. I suspect it probably is true. Um, the, The challenge is if you can't uh, use FBA for offsite, then you have to fragment your inventory. So you have to anticipate how many sales you're going to get on your own website and through eBay and, you know, whatever other marketplaces and channels you're selling on and put that inventory in one warehouse and put your Amazon anticipated sales in the, in the Amazon system. And then of course you can sell out in one and still have inventory sitting idle in the other, which is inefficient. It's, it's much better if you can aggregate all that inventory in one place and fulfill it uh, quickly and accurately to any of your customers, which to me was the big appeal of, of the offsite
1: FBA. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it'll, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll let, let folks know if this is official or not, or or if they're just kind of maybe it's just selective to certain sellers. too. maybe some folks are too small or something like that. We, you know, again, it's kind of we definitely are hearing that sellers are being notified. Uh, I don't know if it's broad based or are very specific to sellers at this point, or how you know. Maybe it's also just the U.S. Maybe they're not going to do it in other countries. We'll we'll have to kind of keep an eye on it. But wanted to let listeners know that that's kind of percolating out there. Uh, Another one that's percolating, and this comes by way of GeekWire, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, Jason. I get a lot. You know, everyone says what what news sites do you read for e-commerce? And there's the usual suspects like. The shop.org smart brief, the retail dive, recode, uh, all those kinds of guys. Uh, obviously following you and i on Twitter is a great way to get e-commerce news. Um, but one of the sites that a lot of people I find don't follow is GeekWire. And GeekWire is interesting. It's uh it's out of it's kind of like a tech crunch out of Seattle, but it definitely has this Amazon angle. They must have two or three reporters that really dive into all things Amazon. So some of the most interesting news comes out of GeekWire. Uh, and this week it's it's pretty interesting. So there was this, uh, it looks like a Chinese restaurant, I think in Seattle that, um, got demolished. And then, uh, some documents were filed with the city. And I think what caught their attention was, uh, not the name of the company, but they, uh, it was called project X. It was like, it's project X. It's literally in the drawings called project X. And I, I think, you know, some clever reporters like, Hmm, who would do this, and, and why would they call it Project X? Uh, and as they dug into it, um, you know, the 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 thinking is it's probably Amazon. They test a lot of these concepts in Seattle, uh, and uh, you know what it looks like when you read the description is a drive-up grocery store. So, so they've they've created what uh, you know I think this Chinese restaurant had a drive-up window and that kind of thing, and they so it's got the the physical footprint and ingress egress and and wrap-around drive-through that you would need um, for them to test this. Uh, And I thought it'd be interesting just to read this little blurb. This is from the actual document filed with the city. And it says, when placing an order online, customers will schedule a specific 15-minute to two-hour pickup window. Peak time slots will sell out, which will help manage traffic flow within the customer parking adjacent to the building. When picking up purchased items, customers can either drive into a designated parking area that has eight parking stalls, where the items will be delivered to their cars, or they can walk into the retail area to pick up their items. Items. Customers will also be able to go to the retail room and place orders on a tablet. Walk-in customers will have their products delivered to them in the retail room. So, so that's pretty interesting. And I know you, um, you know, you, you spend a lot of time thinking about grocery. I'd love to think what do you, what do you think about? Let's kind of assume this is true. It seems like um, these guys did a fair amount of digging and tied everything together. Uh, what do you think about, you know? And just to kind of lay our little background down, so Amazon, when it comes to grocery, their heavy lift is called Fresh. And that's, you know, 300,000 square foot facilities with refrigeration, big green trucks, the whole, you know, the whole enchilada, you know to your house delivery of groceries and then another way they kind of have come at this is um, they also have Prime Pantry which is another attempt to kind of do some of these really heavy kind of everyday consumables um, not necessarily groceries but but some of the stuff you would get from the grocery like the Tide the uh, you know cleaning products, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then the third kind of effort on this front is Prime Now, uh, which increasingly, it seems like when I use Prime Now, they're adding more and more grocery-style items. Um, so this seems like even a fourth effort in this front. What what do you think about it? And um, maybe summarize for our listeners some of the other things going on in the world of grocery.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, so I found it really interesting, too. I, I think it definitely is Amazon. And to me, the most damning thing— is the architect designing the building happens to also be an architect that has done a bunch of Amazon work. Um, So the the reporters did a pretty good job of sort of tying all those those pieces together. Um, But the idea of having a drive-through pickup for grocery makes a lot of sense. So when you think about ordering groceries online, there's three ways you could get those groceries to the consumer. You could make a special trip and deliver them um, what we would call destination delivery so load up a truck send that truck straight out uh, that's you know essentially how like uh, uh, instacart works today um, is that driver loads up his car and goes straight to your house when you place the order you could do route based delivery where a driver drives a specific route and if he happens to have groceries for you that day he drops them off right and essentially that's how how UPS and Amazon prime work, whereas Amazon Fresh it was a, a deliver-on-demand sort of service. Um, and then the third way is you could have the customer go and pick it up. And I actually believe that the winning formula for grocery is going to be customer pickup. And the reason is, is there are very often perishables in that grocery cart. And so you cannot deliver uh, those groceries to a consumer when they're not at home like you can, you know, with most of the general merchandise that Amazon delivers via Prime. Um, If if there's milk or eggs in that thing, you know, they can't be sitting outside that door all day. So you you need to be home when that delivery gets there. Um, And that makes all the logistics of home delivery for grocery much more challenging. And most people just aren't home at specific times um, for a long enough window to get those deliveries. And so uh, it just works out that it's much more convenient to use all the great digital tools to place your order, to manage your list, to do all your pre-shopping, and then uh, quickly and expeditiously drive to a convenient location and pick those groceries up when it's convenient for you. Um, and so what Amazon is proposing here is very similar to what a bunch of other retailers are already trying. So if you go to Walmart's home in Bentonville, Arkansas, you'll see a bunch of drive-through pickup locations for grocery and and very much like this Amazon Project X these are dedicated delivery depots. They look a lot like gas stations. Um, and you you pull up to one of multiple stalls in that that gas station location, and you pick up your order that you previously pay, placed on the Walmart grocery website. Um, Tesco uh, has a number of, of very similar pickup-only locations in the U.K. And as we've talked about several times on the show, uh, a much larger percentage of uh, folks in the UK shop for groceries online. So this, this Tesco, uh, pickup on demand model has, has been very popular. And if you think about it, these, these buy online pickup in, uh, store or pickup curbside models are sort of how retail began. So you think about the, The general store, all the goods used to be behind the counter. So you didn't shop for the goods yourself. You told the clerk what you wanted. He went and got them, put them in a bag, and you took them home. And, you know, if you fast forward to more recent times, uh, contemporary retailers like Sears, Sears started as a catalog business, but they didn't generally ship the products to your home. They shipped them to a Sears catalog location and you came to that location and picked up your order. So the, the original Sears catalog model worked a lot like this, this Project X and of of course uh, a couple decades ago there's a very popular retailer called service merchandise which used that same model you you shopped out of a catalog at the front of the store people in the back of the store pulled together your order and handed you uh, your your completed order and In general, that model worked really well until we got into this mass consumption era where everyone wanted huge assortment and they wanted to shop and browse and they wanted to discover new products. And it became very much uh, more interesting to uh, have a self-service store with a lot of well-merchandised products where you could make purchase decisions In the store. And so all of these sort of pickup models died and got replaced by the open cell model that we're all familiar with today. Um, but now that digital is emerging and there are all these great things that you can do to pre shop digitally that you can't do physically. It feels like we're starting to go back to that model where, hey, we'll digitally pre-shop. We'll do all that discovery. Um, we'll do all our product research, uh, all the stuff that we used to do using the packaging in the store. We're now going to do digital. And then, you know, our, our most convenient uh, way to fulfill that order is to, to expeditiously pick it up at some kind of depot location like this. So I, I actually think that it's likely to be a much more popular model than something like Amazon Fresh where we're paying for a truck to make a special trip from a a distribution system to a a store.
1: Yeah, where is Walmart on their grocery um, stuff? Because I noticed my local Walmart has a, um, you know, a buy online pickup in the store grocery banner they've put on there. I haven't been able to test it on the site. Um, And then um, someone tweeted me from Atlanta that they saw it there. So it sounds like it's kind of, um, I've heard you talk about it being in Bentonville, and I've heard them talk about it. It seems like it's getting more widespread. Do you, do you know the status of that? Uh, I know approximately the status. So it's
0: quite a bit larger at the moment than is Amazon Fresh, for example. Amazon Fresh is in how many markets now, Scott? Is it? I think it's, it's only five. Yeah, like five I was going to say five or six yeah. markets. Um, so Walmart has numerous retail concepts but the two big ones they have they have super centers which are what you know most people think of when they think of a walmart and they have these walmart neighborhood markets which are more closer to a akin to a grocery store so there are hundreds of these neighborhood markets in i, I want to say at least 13 states potentially more and all of those neighborhood markets support buy online pick up in store for grocery um and so there there are there's a meaningful amount of groceries there. There's a dedicated grocery website in those states. So right now it's grocery.walmart.com. So if you were going to shop for groceries, you go to that separate URL. You'd shop for groceries. Um, in some markets, they're experimenting with home delivery. But in all markets, you can do a, a pickup in-store. And depending on the test in that market, you might have to walk into the store to get your groceries in another store. They might deliver them curbside and in another market, they might have a a, a pickup only location um, like we're talking about with the uh, the project X. And so I want to say the pickup only locations are only being piloted in a, in a couple of cities for Walmart, but the curbside pickup is very broad and in uh, many more cities than is Amazon fresh. And then, of course, in the, the thousands of super centers, they have buy online pickup in store for general merchandise and, and what's, You know, pretty big miss for Walmart at the moment is those two experiences are separate. So you want groceries, you go to one website and you pick up on the curb and you want general merchandise, you go to another website and you pick up in the store. And obviously that's not how customers think or want to act. And so you, you can imagine that Walmart is, is in the process of merging those, those two experiences. Um, but at the moment you can travel the country and see a lot of different pilots of pickup experiences for Walmart. And a bunch of other retailers. So, you know, this year, Kroger, which is the biggest standalone grocery store in the country, started launching their pickup in, um, buy online pickup in store experience for grocery. They had been very behind in digital and, uh, this was a major initiative for them. And they, they've announced some, some, uh, pretty shocking early results. And I think a much larger percentage of their customers are using the service than they anticipated. And of course, you know, it's a, a very common model. It's over fifty percent of all the grocery um, orders in the UK are pickup in store in one flavor or another. Sometimes pickup in store yeah. equals a petrol station.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really big in the UK. Um, I, I heard something like sixty percent of groceries, or something like like you know, a very material amount, are delivered the other thing that's interesting about Walmart is they they seem to be doing a really good job on social media because they encourage people to use this hashtag grocery hero uh, and they've got a fair amount of folks that have like really kind of just said you know how awesome it is and and it, there's a fair amount of social buzz from the program too which is pretty neat you know you wouldn't think of you know Walmart being a leader on on some of this stuff people tend to pick on them as being a little bit laggardy on that but I, I think they've done a good job on that
0: yeah, no, I, I, I would give them credit, and I would also point out that it, just, this is one of those services that is uh, life changing for customers, whether it's Walmart or anyone else. But once you get used to ordering your groceries and having these fast pickup experiences, um, for for a busy mom. That's, that's a meaningful improvement in her day, not to have to drag kids through the grocery store, um, not have to stand in line to pay all, all of those things. This, this feels like one of those, you know, major quality of life improvements for people. So I think there are legitimately people that are just super happy with this new experience. And Walmart has done a better than average job of finding some of those people and amplifying them on social media, which is, of course,
1: exactly what, what every retailer should be doing. Yeah. And this is starting to get kind of a little outside of our Amazon news, but I I definitely, since we're kind of talking grocery, I saw a report that Kroger's testing a store format where they're adding, they're kind of becoming more of a Walmart or a Target, which is pretty interesting. And I forget the name of it. I figured you would probably know, but they're adding kind of you know, um, home improvement kind of items and just lightweight. And they, so it's like, it's a very large store and it's a third grocery and then a third, um, you know, consumable type of stuff. And then a third, which would be more starting to cover a lot of the reasons you would go to Walmart and target. It's, it sounds like the grocery and, and non-grocery guys are on this massive collision course, if if I'm kind of reading that right. (laughs) I I think you are right. All the grocery guys want to add,
0: uh, more expensive items to that cart. And so they're, they're really interested in all that general merchandise. And all the general merchants want to uh, get the greater frequency of visits that the grocery guys have. And so they're all, you know, rapidly adding and in grocery. I think Kroger, in particular, a very large company, they're the result of a number of of acquisitions. So they have a number of what, what you would call that sort of um, super center concept. So I, I lived in Portland, Oregon for a long time and the, and the big local chain there was called Fred Meyer, which is exactly what you described. It's a, a full grocery store that also has home improvement and apparel and a bunch of other sections. And they're, of course, owned by Kroger. So, um, I feel like there's, a number of those concepts, as we may talk about later in the news, there are some pitfalls. It's it's not a, a silver bullet that you just add that new category and, and it suddenly does well for you and doesn't introduce some new problems. Um, but I would point out one other thing about these dedicated pickup locations that at least to me is uh, amusingly ironic. Um, last year we were talking about this new concept a lot called dark stores. And the idea behind a dark store was, I'll open an extra grocery store that I'll lay out exactly like all my other grocery stores, but I won't allow customers to visit it. Hence the reason we call it dark. And instead I'll use it as a, a local distribution center for, for deliveries. So I'll pay, um, pickers to go around that store, you know, fill carts for customers and then deliver them to home. And so dark store was kind of a, a way to repurpose a, a formerly customer facing store as a distribution center. And now, you know, this project X concept is, is kind of the anti dark store. It's, um, a store without self, uh, self service shopping where customers are intended to go. So it's, it's, uh, kind of a funny juxtaposition.
1: Yeah, it does remind me to your previous point of a service merchandise where there's this little retail area you go in and it's one tenth of the store, and then behind there is some, you know, magic elves that are getting your order together and bringing it forward. It, it seems like it's going to be kind of like that.
0: Yeah, and like to be honest, for several decades that was a very successful retail concept.
1: Yeah. The, uh, so back on to the Amazon side, you were in Seattle and, uh, last December I had made it through to the bookstore there. And I was wondering if you had a chance to swing by the bookstore.
0: I did indeed. And, uh, and I, uh, enjoyed it. The, the, they're about to open their second bookstore in San Diego. So, uh, it, you know, one thing we're all really eager to see is, is that second one, a carbon copy of the first one, or is there some significant evolution there? So, um, Stay tuned for that. But you visited the Amazon store not long after it opened. And, of course, there was a lot of coverage and a bunch of folks wrote articles about some of the novel features of the store. Um, but when I actually visited it, I I noticed a couple things that I felt like hadn't gotten a lot of ink from those early visits. Um, so you, we had discussed this with Kevin or briefly, but one of the unique things about the Amazon store is it's cashless. So you actually can't pay with go- for goods with cash in that store. And for a lot yeah. of retailers, that would be super controversial because you know you look, there there are many retailers that over fifty percent of their their transactions are cash based. Even a retailer that's almost. Uh, that's predominantly credit card based, you would still expect to see 10 or 15% of your rings be cash. And so um, it's interesting that Amazon chose to forego that. And I'm now starting to get questions from other clients about doing cash with stores. And part of the, the thing here is, uh, you have a traditional retail footprint and you're maybe going to experiment with a new, smaller footprint that you can put in locations you couldn't put your traditional stores. So you start thinking about, you know, what can I downsize in this smaller location? Um, there's a lot of hassle with dealing with cash. So if I don't have to have that cash drawer, if I don't have to have the Brinks truck come to the store every week, if I don't have to have the safe... Um, it could be very appealing. And so, I, you know, I think Amazon was sort of a pioneer in this, but it's really triggered a bunch of other retailers that are exploring cashless stores for their new store concepts. So I think that's going to be interesting to follow.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and then you can also have that more Apple-like experience where the checkout can be a little more fluid and you can have wandering people checking you out and stuff like that when you get rid of cash. Exactly. Do Apple stores take cash? I've never tried. Yes, they do. Um, is is it like back in the geek section and like, there's only one little cash drawer or something like that?
0: Yeah. There's, there generally is like one in the big stores, there could be several, but there's generally at least one cash drawer in the store. And so you, you know, anyone will help you. And if you say, I want to pay with cash they're they're either going to walk you over to that drawer or they're going to take your payment, go there, tender your, your cash and, and, uh, and bring back your, your, uh, your change. Um, so, so, Apple, you know, I would love to know what the percentage of transactions that are cash in Apple. Obviously, they're pretty high AOV, so you you would think that that's a pretty low percentage of of cash transactions. But you know, you think about all the tourism and and other things, and and uh, they appear to still see value in taking cash. Um, but you're absolutely right. When you go cashless, you're almost certainly going to go to some flavor of mobile point of sale, and then you can have those sales associates, you know, out in the aisle, you know, working shoulder to shoulder collaboratively with customers instead of this sort of adversarial system you set up when you put the customer across the table from the sales associate, and um, and a, a bunch of good things happen. Uh, one of the things that I that Amazon has done to mitigate the fact that they won't take cash is they have implemented um, paying with your Amazon account in the store. And so we, we talked a little bit about this in our last show, the deep dive in mobile payments. Uh, the Amazon payments can't be used in any other stores, but in this one Amazon store, you can use your mobile phone to uh, make a payment, and it comes out of the the payment cards that you have on file at Amazon. Um, and so I was eager to see how that worked. And um, in practice, I have to be honest, it's a little more clunky than any of the other mobile payment uh, wallets that we've seen. So if you'll remember from last week's show, we talked – there's a bunch of mobile payment systems that use the camera in your phone. So the phone camera takes a picture of like a QR code in the store. And so uh, Walmart Pay, for example, uses uh, that model. Um, and then there's a bunch of places that use a camera in the cash register. So Starbucks is a great example of the camera being built into the cash register, and they take a picture of the QR code that's on your phone. So Amazon has taken the worst of both worlds and they require to use the camera in the phone and at the cash register. So you, you launch the, the Amazon app, the, the same uh, app you would use to shop and you turn on the scanner that you would use to scan a barcode in the store and see a price, for example, and you aim that scanner at a QR code on the cash register and a QR code pops up on your phone that the sales associate then needs to scan on your, um, off of your phone, and then it automatically takes the money out of whatever your default payment system is. So if you have multiple cards in your Amazon account, you don't get to pick which one to use. It just uses the default one, and if there's a problem with that, then the transaction won't go through. So Mm. I thought it was interesting that they were trying to implement mobile payments. Like It definitely doesn't feel like a completely baked and certainly doesn't feel like competitively low friction with a lot of the other payment systems out there.
1: Yeah. When you asked, did they like sigh and say, okay, well, <laughs> or, or yeah, did, so they, I, did they, I did they offer it up really, said, Or were they like, don't you have a credit card?
0: <laughs> I, I I mean a little bit. Like I, I asked, like, are people using it? And they said that predominantly when people ask to pay with cash and they, uh, and they don't have, you know, they say, I'm sorry, we don't accept cash. We say, do you have an Amazon account? And then they say yes. And so we talk them through using the payment method as sort of a save the sale. Um, and I, you know, I ask if customers found it easy, um, because obviously I didn't think it was sort of best in class. And they said that, you know, they, they have to do a fair amount of education for the first transaction,
1: but then, you know, repeat customers, uh, tend, tended to do better. Got it. Did you like the way they integrate some of the online content into the store?
0: I did. We've talked about, uh, from your visit, like one of my favorite things is they print ratings and reviews on the fact tags that they have on all the products. And they even have displays that are merchandised by the reviews. So like, here's all our, you know, 4.3 star or better products in this category, for example, um, which I thought was a really smart way to use social proof in the store. Um, what I hadn't heard that was kind of cool is they have some even more novel versions of social proof. So when you read a book on a Kindle, one of the great features is that you can highlight passages that are interesting to you, and then you can actually download a text file with all the passages you've highlighted. And so that gives Amazon this great, unique data stream. Um, they know which passages readers found interesting in a particular book. They can see that, hey, 10,000 people uh, highlighted this same passage in this book. Um, and if you think about it, that's that's a really powerful data set. And they actually use that data on signage in the store. So they print the most popular passages from books as a sign and put it next to that book. And at the bottom of that quote, it says something like, 10,000 Kindle users highlighted this this passage, so letting you know that this is a very popular book and that was a popular passage. Um, and so I thought that was sort of a clever merchandising system. Um, they also are using Kindles as signage In the aisles in the store. So, you know, the, uh, one of the things we talked about that's unique about this store, uh, compared to any other bookstore is a normal bookstore is going to try to fit as many books as they can in the store. And so they're going to put most of the books spine out because that's more space efficient and they're only going to have books facing out that are sort of the promoted books. Um, and so, Amazon has said, no, 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 we're going to uh, promote every book in the store face out. So there's a whole facing for every single book, which means you can fit far less books in the same amount of square footage. Um, but what they have done is several places on each gondola, instead of having a book, they'll have a, a Kindle. Um, and they'll have a, a particular book loaded on that Kindle. Um, and so you can actually browse that book and try that Kindle sort of in aisle um, and they, they use that as a a mechanism to, you know, get get people trying the Kindle that maybe weren't looking for a Kindle, but instead were looking for a book, which is sort of clever. Because, the you know, there is a Kindle display in the store, but you would have to sort of know you were interested in a Kindle to go to that display.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like digital tags. Like the most expensive way you could probably do digital tags, but hey, they make the Kindle, so it's probably not a big deal for them.
0: I am here to tell you there are more expensive digital tags than Kindles, <laughs> so it's really? on the more wow. expensive side. But you're exactly right. Like as the manufacturer, it's probably less expensive for them, and it and it works as a pretty good digital fact tag. Um, and then the last thing uh, that I found interesting in this store is a new feature that probably wasn't in the store when you visited. They now have an uh, an Echo training station uh, manned with a trainer, so they actually hold classes, these little seven minute mini classes, and teach users uh, how to use the Echo and what it can do. And they have the Echoes integrated with like Hue lights and and things, so that you can they can actually live demonstrate voice controlling these third party products. Cool. Did you yell Alexa at the top of your lungs and like eight
1: hundred Alexas answered back?
0: I, I did a bunch of things. I, I I went to all of them and said, "Play Michael Bolton," which is a, <laughs> j- a joke from a, a car commercial a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, Prime, Amazon Prime does have Michael Bolton, so that worked. Um, and uh, you know, we did a bunch of those things. But I have to say, the store uh, trainer got me better than I got him because I was standing at a self-service Echo display. And all of a sudden, the Echo starts uh, making an announcement. It says, There will be an Echo training class in 30 seconds. Come to the desk if you want to get trained. And I'm like, Oh man, Amazon's done something really cool here. They've written a skill um, to be sort of an audio digital sign to make announcements and things in the store. And I thought, like, you know, that this was like this automated system and they'd written custom software to make all these announcements. And of course, it was just the dude behind the counter with the remote saying, Simon says, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was, clever. yeah, it was, it was clever of them and it was effective. It, uh, it got me to take a class.
1: Mm, cool. And then in the class, what do they do? They just walk you through the basics, like how to use a verb and all that stuff. Or?
0: Yeah. It's pretty rudimentary. Like I got, you know, you always wonder like, will you discover something you didn't already know? Um, and in this case I didn't, I mean, it was, it was pretty basic stuff, but for most people that don't understand the concept of the echo uh, it's a useful introduction and a lot of people are going to appreciate uh, the human, uh, interaction with, with, uh, getting sort of onboarded to the product. And it's going to be much more effective than just a self service display. So I, I thought that was a smart idea. Um, I did, again, this, they have one store. So I asked the guy, are you a special employee that does the training? Or are you just someone that works in the store? He says, I don't work in the store. I actually work for Amazon. And, you know, they just asked me to come in for the weekend and do this. And I'm like, oh, great. What do you do for Amazon? And he, he looks at me and goes, that's a secret. So I'm, uh, not an uncommon answer at Amazon, but but uh, it, hopefully one day we'll figure out what what uh, Project he was working on.
1: Mm, he's probably one of the 1,000 people they have thinking about machine learning.
0: Or I was I'm thinking he he might be one of the guys on in the Project X store. Who knows?
1: Mm, could be. Yeah. One interesting uh, tidbit since we're on Amazon news, uh, I guess a couple interesting. Things. So one thing is they. Disclosed, and this zipped by, and I haven't seen anyone really pick up on it. But in the Q2 earnings call, um, they said that there are now 1,900 skills for Alexa. <laughs> Uh, and that's, you know, when, when you and I last talked about the Echo, the the store was really poorly done. But you could at least, it told you how many skills there were. And I think when they dumped that, they were at 500. And then now they have a fancy new, because of our recommendation, of course, they have a fancy new way and the skills are better organized. And they have like effectively an app store for skills. But one of the things that's frustrating about the new app store it, uh, is it doesn't give you like a number of skills currently available. Um, so I thought it was interesting that that. that that went up like three X since literally in like four months. So, um, I think they were kind of moderating how many they put in there because the experience was so bad. And then now that now that they have a better experience, they've really opened up the number of skills. I can't even imagine what the nineteen hundred skills are at this point. And I haven't had time to poke around in that new app store kind of thing. But there's, you know I, I do know one of the biggest categories is jokes and comedy. So who, yeah. who
0: knew? No, um, and I, I will tell you, we have, we have a client, a uh, Patron that actually we launched a, an Echo skill for, and I, I can't disclose their, their metrics, but I can tell you that I was shocked by the level of adoption. So the, um, the both like the, the Echo user base is clearly, uh, more active than I in, uh, imagined, and, uh, a higher percentage of them are using skills. So there's a lot of people out there using the Echo uh, near their bar to get uh, re- drink recipes and recommendations, which is pretty, pretty, uh, I was surprised at the, the, the numbers.
1: Yeah. Interesting. The, um, this is good cause this brings me into another topic I wanted to bring up. There's been a fair amount of noise in the last week or so that, uh, Amazon set to launch more of a Spotify killer. Um, and this is always conf, is a little confusing because you already have Amazon Music. So so the thing to remember with Amazon Music is the catalog is pretty limited. And uh, it's mostly designed for people to do, uh, I think they call it catalog matching, um, where you can essentially say, hey, Amazon, I have, here's my CD library. And then they know that you're legally able to listen to that. So instead of you having to rip and upload and all that kind of 1990s kind of thing, you just basically say, here's my catalog. Anything you buy from Amazon is automatically in there. Uh, And then they do marry it with a little bit of a catalog and then you upload your catalog. And that's kind of how Amazon Music works. Um, The result of that is if you compare it to a service like Spotify, uh, it, it just doesn't have nearly the catalog, especially in like the last eight to ten years so if you listen to Taylor Swift or I guess she's kind of unique she's only on Apple but anyway uh, you know any kind of popular music in the last eight to ten years um, then it's usually not on the Amazon audio and that's the base that Alexa pulls from when you say play a song so I find myself um, there's a skill there's a Spotify skill for uh, Alexa where You can say, hey, Spotify, Um, you say Alexa, Spotify, and then you do group and then song. Um, So you would say uh, Alexa, Spotify, Taylor Swift, Bad Blood, just as an example. And uh, that one actually doesn't happen to be on Spotify, but that's how it would work. And um, I have found myself, instead of just saying... Uh, the hit rate is so low for, for stuff that I and my kids listen to. Um, I always say Spotify now. And I, the other day I was thinking, you know, if if I'm Amazon, that's pretty interesting because it's essentially telling me what it would take to build a Spotify killer. Well, in the news, uh, just recently, uh, this was on recode just yesterday. Um, they, they had kind of two pieces of, of news that, and it's in the rumor bucket. So who knows when this will come out, but they basically said, Amazon is set to launch effectively a Spotify killer in you know the next two months or something. They're kind of saying fall. And that would be where it's an unlimited catalog and you can build playlists in the cloud and, and that kind of Spotify-like experience. Uh, and they said they're they hearing it'll be $10 a month. But then they also said there'll be a version of that that's only $5 a month and it's available kind of exclusively on the Echo. Um, so it's really interesting. And, and I kind of think, you know, one of the one of the traps Amazon can get you in is this concept where you're like, okay, I'm Spotify, I should definitely uh, work with Amazon's devices, but then now they have that data and they can kind of go and say, well, here's what it, here's what our device users need. From a Spotify-like service, let's you know let's go prioritize getting these things in our catalog. So, so it's pretty interesting. I don't I don't know if they've used the data for that or anything. Obviously, but you know, knowing their relentless focus on data and, and understanding things, I, I imagine they definitely keep an eye on it. So, it'd be interesting to see. Um, and I, I do think it. It'll be interesting to see how they market this because it is confusing, right? So you're kind of like, well, I, I joined Prime and I got Amazon Music. Why am I paying this extra money? Um, and the extra money is because they have to pay the licensing to the the big music companies um, and to, to cover the spins that people do and stuff like that. That's why, why Spotify exists. So it's going to be really interesting to watch that and see what happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can imagine there are a bunch of interesting questions that come up. I, I think it is going to be hard for Amazon to message because they're starting to have a messy ecosystem of, of music offerings. Um, but, but once they launch that, will they continue to let Spotify and other services on the platform or, or would they eventually, you know, kick those off to try to drive adoption on, uh, of their own product, um, would be sort of one, one interesting thing. Um, and, you know, how that, like, do Prime members get a better deal? Forget Echo members. Do Prime members get a better deal on that Spotify killer than non-Prime members? And, you know, all, all of those those kinds of questions come to mind. So it's going to be interesting to track.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the guys that have tried to clone Spotify, they just have really missed it. Like the Apple um, thing is just, like, so confusing. It's it's mind-bogglingly Strange how it's set up, and Spotify is very intuitive. Um, you could imagine a service, and the Spotify playlist. Um, last time I looked, they're they're actually you know saved in these little text files, kind of on a uh, they they cache them on a little local thing, so you can you know you can they're very easy to import and export. So you'd imagine a smart competitor would kind of say, hey, you know we have we have the exact same catalog or better and we can slurp in all your playlists that you spent some time building. So it'll be interesting to see how serious Amazon is about this and, or do they tiptoe more into it on the, um, on the outside of Amazon news uh, just some, uh, a couple quick ones here. Uh, It's kind of a mix of good news, bad news of kind of where we are in the world of e-commerce. So good news. uh, The U S census came out and they, continue to say that e-commerce is really kind of effectively accelerating. So they saw e-commerce for the second quarter grow 15.8%. And what's nice about this number is uh, Comscore has started to be less relevant because they don't include mobile in their numbers. Um, And and if they do, mobile comes out like 60 days later. So it's kind of confusing. So so for example, Comscore right now, I think, is saying, you know, e-commerce is growing 13%. That excludes mobile. And then mobile adds two to three points. So um, similar kind of outcomes, but it takes Comscore a lot longer now to kind of come out with that data. So it is kind of good to see this census coming out and, and you know being... Not only in line, but showing some growth. Uh, and then as the rest of retailers came out with their results, we talked about Amazon already, um, but but two good news items were both Best Buy and Walmart. They kind of exceeded expectations. Um, looking at the Best Buy results, uh, they attributed a lot of it to online, which grew 24% year over year, which is you know, pretty, pretty strong. Uh, so there was all these articles, you know, that Best Buy has figured out e-commerce and whatnot. Um, there's no – Best Buy didn't offer any explanation why they saw a bit of a spike there. So kind of interesting to see if that's sustainable or was a, a one-time thing. Um You know, did um, will Prime Day uh, kind of take away some of that momentum because that would have been in Q3. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Walmart came uh, exceeded expectations where some of the things it seems like they're doing in the retail side is working. Their same store sales um, improved one point six percent. And that's after some pretty kind of flat or negative numbers. So so everyone was excited about that e-commerce was still a little sluggish. It was 11.8, but I believe that was an improvement from the Q1 number, so they saw a little bit of an uptick there. Um, the surprise uh, of this kind of set of results was Target, and they they saw their same-store sales decelerate one one percentage and e-commerce grew 16%. So, and I think that's a tick down from kind of where they were uh, previously. So an interesting kind of mixed set of results there and, and hard to kind of parse through, you know, why, you know, why is Target struggling and kind of Best Buy is doing well? It, it's it's not entirely clear, but um, within there, the whole picture, uh, it looks like the good news for us in the industry um, uh, is that overall e-commerce is kind of trending towards the 16% growth rate, which you like to hear going into the holiday.
0: Absolutely. The sort of, uh, I like to try to unpack a little bit of that and at least speculate on what's going on behind some of those numbers. Um, the... The Best Buy number—it seems like you know there are two interesting things. The number one—the uh, the e-commerce growth was probably related to more aggressive free shipping. So they they you know did offer free shipping in a lower threshold, um, and uh, as as we've talked about numerous times on this show, customers expect free shipping. So when you when you ship for free, you sell more. Um, so that certainly helped them. But the the bigger macro thing at Best Buy that's interesting is. Digital disruption is over at Best Buy. So the, they've already lived through it. And so their, their baseline now is a world in which most people shop for consumers online. And so the, they're not being as negatively impacted by like people suddenly shopping for TVs on Amazon, right? Like that's, that's already cooked into their numbers. And so they actually had a nice quarter. Whereas some of these other retailers that are in categories that are you know, much, much less mature in their, their digital shopping, like they're writing off a lot of the, their bad numbers to this, this digital disruption and Amazon and others taking their business away. Um, so sort of a funny juxtaposition of, of Best Buy and the general merchants. Um, Walmart, it, it was the interesting story that, you know, that it, uh, they, they actually had very fast e-commerce growth, um, for most of the last three years. Cause if, you know, really three years ago, they weren't a very significant e-commerce player. Now they're the second largest e-commerce site in the US. Um, the, you know, so most of the time they've been outgrowing Amazon. Uh, you know, then these last couple of quarters, we've really seen their growth decelerate. A lot of people think they bought Jet, you know, largely to jumpstart that. And then, you know, they got a nice little growth kiss even before the jet acquisition could have had any effect. So So probably encouraging for Walmart. And then at Target, um, it, it's uh, the most interesting challenge of, of all. They, their e-commerce also started at a low base and has been growing very fast. and it continued to grow again, you know, 16%. It, it uh, like slightly outperformed the industry average, uh, and a ton of their growth has been attributed to the fact that they keep getting more aggressive about their free shipping. But the bigger endemic problem at Target that we alluded to earlier is uh, that Target's traffic is actually down. Um, so their, their same-store sales were down 1.1%. Uh, traffic in the stores was down like 2%. And part of the challenge was that, that in their current um, strategy, they've really focused on... Uh, five marquee product categories and de emphasize some of the other categories. And one of those is these, like, um, uh, particularly nutritious uh, grocery items. But so sales of the rest of grocery has declined for them, and they're really struggling to win as a grocery store. And, you know, a lot of their locations aren't as convenient in and out as grocery stores. And so they they opened, you know, gr- they added grocery to all these stores in the hopes of driving a lot more traffic, um, and now they're they're seeing their traffic actually go down. So that's a really worrisome sign at at Target that they're going to have to figure out a solution to. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think they
1: stick with grocery or ultimately need to bail on it?
0: I think there's a version of grocery that they need to stick to. But, you know, they, they're they all going to have to figure out what works for them. Like, do they need the full assortment? Do they need items that you can't find? Right now they're in this weird place. They're not as convenient as a Kroger and they're not as premium as a Whole Foods, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so they need to figure out what's right for the target guest. And, you know, the same will go for pickup. We're, we talked a lot about that grocery pickup experiment. Part of the reason they're all doing pilots is the – the method of delivery that's most can, uh, that resonates best with the target guest may be very different than a Walmart shopper or a Whole Foods shopper. And so each of these concepts is going to need to figure out what works best for them. Um, so moving on from grocery, uh, another little news tidbit we saw. This is sort of closing the loop on some uh, earlier news. Um, but earlier in the year, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond bought One King's Lane, which was uh, an- another one. Uh, you know one of these uh, e-commerce exits and at the time they did not disclose the price um but they, there was a very ominous quote from bed bath and beyond which was the price was not material um which never uh is a sign that it was a good exit <laughs> yeah with <laughs> um but so uh We've, we've now heard that the price was probably something like $30 million, right? And that's a, you know, company that was formerly valued at close to a billion dollars. I think they had like an, they, they raised some cash at a 900 million valuation. Um, and, you know, less than two years later, they're, they're, they're selling to Bed Bath and beyond at a not material $30 million. So, um, well, we've had some great exits this quarter. Like that one's a little, a little dicey and, uh, the, the first thing I thought of when I read that is, you think back, um, they had a very well-regarded uh, president, um, Doug Mack, who surprisingly left while they were still getting high valuations and a lot of favorable buzz, and he left for a parallel job at uh, Fanatics. And at the time, everyone was scratching their head going, huh, that's that's very odd. I wonder what the backstory was. Um, and... Uh, now, now it seems like uh, he he might have been very prescient uh, about the long term prospects for that business.
1: Yeah, the the one thing I'm curious about is what their revenue run rate was because it just seems you know really really low. So so I think maybe you know it, it must have been on declining. Kind of thing. It wasn't just flat. It had to be kind of on a you know a very downward trajectory. So interesting to see that some of these models just kind of lose steam and and collapse, and um, you know other ones seemed to to like Dollar Shave Club go the other way. So um, one kind of in the. Makes you a little bit sad, department. Uh, there's a lot of reports. This came out, I heard on CNBC this morning, and now uh, I've seen like several articles on this, kind of speculating, has Pokemon Go peaked? Um, and I certainly, I travel around a fair amount, not as much as you, but um, I don't see it in the you know the data. I've, I've been, I was in New York, and there was literally like 800 people by Central Park uh, if you go you know certain areas of Boston and other other I was in Washington DC the other day and I was near a um, a park and there was you know there's literally crowds of people out still looking for Pokemon uh, now I do think back to school will obviously put a little bit of a damper on this um, and they've been a bit slow to improve the game and, and add a lot of the features they've talked about but I don't know I don't know if I believe this or not I, I think um, you know I think there's still a fair amount of activity going on and, and whatever metric they're looking at which may be just app store ratings or something like that maybe giving them a bad signal but uh we'll see do you have any thoughts on that
0: yeah i mean obviously like some level of the popularity has to be a fad in the long term like it's not going to maintain it it seems impossible that it could maintain the level of engagement that it had at launch um but it's hard to it's also hard to believe that it like it would completely go away so to me um how quickly they were able to get to that like 75 million users. That's a cautionary tale for all of us, regardless of whether it's sticky or not. Um, I, you know, as I travel, I have to tell you anecdotally. Like I still do see people playing it quite a bit. Uh, I watch. Um, uh, HBO's hard knocks and the like football players at training camp are are like running around trying to catch Pokemon um, <laughs> on the show. so that's pretty funny and then I saw a news item this week that uh, I, I desperately want to believe is true uh, that a police department in Philadelphia sent letters to uh, a bunch of people with outstanding warrants saying that there was a rare Pokemon character in the booking area of the police station. <laughs> <laughs> uh to uh, fall for it? uh according to this article uh they a few people uh, uh showed up in the booking looking for the um uh what's it called the a sharazad you probably know what that is but um oh, i don't know them yeah and maybe it's one that they made up but uh props to the police for uh either a clever way to catch people or at least a clever way to to get some uh good good pr
1: Cool. And the last thing I wanted to mention was reported by, uh, my wife and she's a big fan of Lily Pulitzer and they have some annual sale. And, uh, the day of the sale, she was, you know, I'm her go-to e-commerce guy. I'm sure you experienced this as well. She's like, you know, why do you think this site is so painfully slow? And, and she couldn't even log in. And eventually she was able to get the homepage to load. And it said something like, hey, you're guest number 120,000, and we'll get to you in the next like six hours. So, um, you know, that was super frustrating. And then I've seen several articles. We'll put them in the show notes that kind of talk about the you know, there's a bit of a backlash, uh, uh, on this. It reminded me of the target cyber Monday promotion from last year. Um, and you know, uh, at, at least I guess they handled the traffic eventually by putting you in a queue, but then kind of, there's a lot of negativity around being put in a queue. So wh- why can't these companies handle the volume that these things are generating? And, and what's your advice to your clients when they have this kind of a spike in traffic situation?
0: Yeah. So, uh, throttling, like, is certainly better than crashing. Um, but it, it's never going to be a very good customer experience. And it sounds like Lily Pulitzer even probably didn't do a, a particularly useful version of throttling. So telling people how many people are in that queue is actually not very helpful unless those, those people also know approximately how many people they're, they're processing per minute, right? Like, so I would rather know that it's going to be a 10 minute wait before I can check out than that I'm 56,000 in the queue. And um, so, you know, certainly if you have to throttle, you, you want to give a good user experience and and uh, tell people how, uh, how long they're going to have to wait and what the alternatives are, if there are any alternatives. Um, but obviously, what what you more want to do is avoid uh, the need to throttle. So there's all the sort of classic um, peak readiness activities that you'd go in, and you know today uh, it's a very well known discipline to simulate that traffic on your systems and be able to sort of ascertain where your deficiencies are and fix those deficiencies so you're not surprised. Um, but The, and obviously a a lot of uh, tools are out there now to sort of elastically scale to that demand. So, you know, even if you're hosting your own site, there are now a lot of technologies to let you, um, sort of get extra server capacity from AWS or others, uh, to help you to manage those peaks and sort of geographically disperse that, um, all of the, the, the caching solutions out there are much more robust. The CDNs that, that uh, are available to e-commerce sites today are much more robust, and they have a lot of clever features that can help um, mitigate uh, the need to cache um, or mitigate the need to, to throttle users. But the, the big thing that we think about today is thinking about the user engineering to avoid uh, those peaks all coming in at once. Um, and so, you know, thinking about things like, um, launching the sale at a different time of day in different regions of the country and, and sort of geofencing when the sale launches, um, promoting different products on the homepage or on the, you know, promoting different products in the sale, uh, to different users so that you don't create all the uh, the demand on on a few product detail pages, or you know, have all the transactions coming in at the same time. And I, I think I told you an example uh, earlier offline of a retailer that had a huge popular annual sale, and by accident they sort of trained all the users to come to the site the day before. Put all the items they wanted to buy in the cart. And then, you know, not only was all their volume on one day, all, all their volume was on one minute at exactly midnight when everyone logged into the site and clicked checkout. Um, and, you know, so one of the things you have to do if you're that retailer is not necessarily build a site that can support all your users buying a product in the same minute, but change the user experience so that people are shopping throughout the day and don't feel like they're missing out if they shop two hours later than if they shop at the first hour and sort of just change the user experience to sort of spread that volume out to a more manageable load throughout the day. Um, so I'm going to leave you, though, with one tip for how to shop on those sites um, even when the retailer hasn't done a good job of keeping up with demand. Um, as we talked about on our mobile deep dive a large percentage of retailers still are uh, have different solutions for their mobile um, e-commerce and for their desktop e-commerce. So when your wife called you and said that she was long in the queue on the desktop site, um, you should have suggested that she try to log in uh, on the mobile site. And she may have actually hit an entirely different server with an entirely different... Um, throttling mechanism. And if that didn't work and Willie Pulitzer offered an app, it's almost certain that the app used a different mechanism and a different transaction engine. And so, uh, the thing I always advise people, and this is particularly true of like Apple when they launch the iPhone, um, is know all of those touch points into that, that uh, business and try them all. Like Try the, try the desktop website, try the mobile app, try, try the mobile website, and you may find that one of them is, uh, is under less load
1: than the others. Awesome. That's really good advice. I, I think we tried mobile web but not app, so we'll definitely hit that next year this time. Cool. Hopefully that goes away
0: because uh, retailers get a lot better at, at doing all these things. But, but for now, uh, it unfortunately works. Um, so with that, we have perfectly used up the hour of time that, uh, that our listeners have allotted. Um, and, uh, we're going to have to wrap up this show.
1: Yeah, one quick message before we go, just want to remind folks from our sponsor, NRF, that Jason and I are going to be – we're going to be doing a lot. So not only are we going to be live podcasting two kind of summary podcasts, but we're going to be doing a lot of interviews live, it turns out, uh, at nrfshop.org. And that's the Digital Summit. Uh, 2016, which is going to be in Dallas this year, September 26th to 28th. And we do have a custom discount code. If you use Jason ampersand Scott, you'll get that 10% discount. Check the show notes for details, and we really appreciate you listening to the show. Until next week, happy commercing, everyone.
0: You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave a review.